Hi, everybody. It is, uh, Jesus Christ, what day is it? It is the, and I'm going to mute this. There we are. It is the 3rd of March, 2022. My name is Luke Thomas, and I believe this is episode 104, 104, 105, something like that. I need to double check. What, what number is this? This is number, I think, 105. Yes, it is. Hi. Uh, let's see, what a great day this is. I'm in my new studios. I don't know how good, oh, that's choppy as shit, isn't it? Is it choppy as fuck? A little bit. Yeah, super choppy. We'll see how this goes. I'm gonna try this on my new gear that we have put in the studio. Some of it is not exactly new, some of it is just old. Um, but we're gonna do our best here today. We'll go for about an hour. If you have any question you'd like to put a donation in for, we'll give it priority at the end of the hour-long run of this. Um, but hopefully it's good. All right, how's it look now? Better? Looks better. Looks better? Okay, all right. So let's do that, shall we? Thumbs up on the video, hit subscribe. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk about UFC 272. We'll talk about uh, whatever you want to talk about. We'll get to all of that. Um, this is your place. This is what we'll be doing. Okay, uh, without further ado, let's get this party started. This won't be the full-on only way we do these live chats. This won't be the only way it looks. We moved in today. I mean, we had a tour through the first time, but we moved in today. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on here. Okay, let's get to your question, shall we? First things first, let me refresh this. All right, that might blow up my computer. Let's see. All right. All right, first question, and there's a bunch. This person asks, with the recent Ukraine crisis, I found myself reading a lot more news articles. I have found it very difficult to find well-researched and interesting articles. I find that a lot of sites just seem to rehash the same poorly researched stories. Is there anyone you would recommend or someone that in your opinion deserves recognition for their coverage? I personally have enjoyed, um, this person says, I think the first person who was killed in the Ukraine, I can't tell if it's a joke, but since it may or may not be, here's what I would offer to you. There were two names that I have recently looked at um, that whose work has been extremely valuable to me. Two, two names, first, uh, Adam Tooze. I mentioned this in a video I did for MK. Adam Tooze is the direct, I think the director of the European Institute at Columbia University, but more broadly is an economic historian, and his work on this has been absolutely invaluable. He's on Twitter, he has a Substack, he's done podcast interviews. His views are, are easy to find. I think the Substack is free. Tooze is spelled T-O-O-Z-E. Uh, you can start with Adam Tooze, a very level-headed, smart, um, researched, well-informed well opinion. There's a lot you would like about it. That's the first one I would say. Another one is a book I could recommend, although it wouldn't necessarily be about Russia in particular, um, but Nicholas Mulder is another guy. He has a book out called The Economic Weapon. He's a professor of European history out of Cornell, and he has a book on the history of sanctions and why they're a lot more of a wartime tool than sometimes we are otherwise led to believe. Um, they have been invaluable resources, Tooze in particular. And then from there, if you look at the work of Adam Tooze, he's gonna recommend a bunch of different sources as well. Some of these might be scholarly and a little bit inaccessible at times, but they will at least put you on a place that I think would be um, 
better served than it sounds like where you are now. Those are two names you could reach for that I think would be valuable to you. Mm. You can see planes taking off in the office. That's pretty cool. Um, let's get back to these. Hi, Luke, we know your position of banning Russian athletes in sporting competition. What do you think the government will do and what will fight promotions do? Are there any... This person's English is hard to read here. Were there any clamors to... Oh, oh, I mean clamoring. To sanction America or UK for the illegal evasion at the time in Iraq, and do you think Saudi should be sanctioned by the same logic? Yeah, of course. I mean, the business that we do with Saudi Arabia is morally repugnant and totally contradictory of uh, everything that we say we hold dear. That is certainly true. I would add on top of that, um, I don't even recall exactly what the world did uh, as it related to economic sanctions. There's a big question in terms of the Iraq war. There's a big question about, um, I mean, God, this is a very complicated issue, but the long story short is, you know, uh, is there much more of a moral difference between what Russia is doing and what the U.S. did in Iraq? I would humbly submit to you, probably not a significant one, if one at all. Uh, it's just that um, the U.S. has this ability to form coalitions with powerful entities to buttress its interest. And its interests in this particular case, NATO or otherwise, are not altogether without merit. But if you're asking, like, why didn't the world then, it's because, you know, what would the... I mean, they removed Russia from the global financial system. Could you do that to the U.S.? I mean, here is something that Adam Tews brought up in a recent interview that he did. He had acknowledged that by pressing Russia the way that we have, removing them from the SWIFT system and whatnot, and you already look at their agricultural yields and who it goes to, parts of the Middle East, but the biggest buyer of their goods, essentially, and their, imp their exports would be uh, China. Does this f cause them to form an already potent and now even further developed strategic relationship? It, it could, right? This is what I mean when I wrote, made that video, like we don't even know what the, the outcomes of all of these sanctions are going to be. Taking a great nuclear power, at least I, I guess whether Russia is a great power is debatable, but taking a nuclear power and removing them from the financial global system, we might want to see how that all shakes out before we decide that boycotts of ordinary Russian citizens is a good idea. Um, Jesus, boy, y'all don't have any MMA questions today. All right. Hey Luke, thanks again for the videos and work on MK. In the past, it's been great to hear your perspective on relationship advice, so I was curious if you've ever had bad advice. Excuse me, bad, yeah, I'm sure I've had a lot of that. If you've ever had a bad relationship with a family member and what has been your way to mend the relationship. Boy, I will not be very helpful on this. Um, this is not an area of expertise, even a little bit. I do have um, a poor relationship with family members distant ones anyway, um, but they remain unmended, uh, sadly. So I, I am of no use to you with, with this particular regard. Not, again, and I want to be clear about the purpose of these chats, it's not because I have omnicompetence about all the issues I'm asked about, but if you want me to share my experience, 
that I can do. Uh, I don't have any experience on the other side of that. Luke, have Bellator obtained the best of the European talent and stolen market from the UFC? It seems that Bellator is a far more attractive proposition for fighters from the European continent. In addition, the shows are far cheaper to get tickets to when compared to UFC. UFC shows in England require us locals to remortgage our homes to have any chance of getting a seat that doesn't require a telescope. See, this is what pro the problem, I mean, one of the issues, uh, I mean, there were many issues with, with COVID, but one of the ones is that it took away a lot of the traveling fight nights. And I always thought that that was the best bang for your UFC buck if you're a fan. Uh, listen, if you've got money or there's a fighter that you really love to see and you've saved or whatever your situation may be and you really want to go to a pay-per-view, then, then do the thing you want to do. But I've always told fans, wait until they come to your town or nearby town with a fight night. Tickets will be cheaper. And of course, you don't have the same level of stars, but you might get a pretty good card depending exactly where it goes. And, you know, I mean, Anthony Pettis fought Dustin Poirier in Norfolk, Virginia, for fuck's sake. I mean, if you were in the Norfolk area that time, you, you got a great card for a pretty affordable price like that. That's really good, but now that most of those are at the apex and they're only doing the pay-per-views, you know, you lost out on a big opportunity there. That's the first thing I'd say. I've always thought UFC tickets were super expensive. And I, you know, if I was just an ordinary fan, I would skip most of what they ask, but, um, you know, UFC fans are, obviously UFC's doing something right because people keep paying for it, but okay. I don't know about all of Europe. I think that would be too broad a generalization, but what is clear is that there are inroads into Ireland, into the UK. Um, that has been quite real. That has been quite real. Their ability to get premier talent from that area and then recruit the next generation of them by virtue of their presence in that market, by virtue of what alliances they've made, by virtue of what relationships with gyms they have, that's a big one too, you know? What managers they work with obviously is, is significant as well. But so, you know, what does that mean for like Italian MMA or, uh, uh, you know, Moldovan MMA? I mean, I don't know. I don't think that Bellator is necessarily gonna out-recruit from those places. Uh, Germany or even France too. I mean, look at, look at who UFC has a relationship already with, MMA Factory, right? So France is gonna be a bit of a hard slog for them depending on how things go, but you get the idea. In those territories, in the UK, in Ireland, yes, their brand has really shined, relatively speaking, and they've done good work there. That, that, that will pay dividends in terms of attracting and retaining talent relevant to those geographic locations, but I would very strongly caution you to not use UK, Ireland as a proxy for all of Europe. Those are, dis obviously, as everyone knows, they are distinct territories, but I mean, those are gonna be distinct recruiting and talent retention efforts. What is the number one advice for someone looking to get into weightlifting and strength training? Start, just start. Of course, you wanna do it safely and you wanna do it with a coordinated plan, but if the first thing that is going to get you off the couch is the actual motivation to get off the couch and to consistently go, it will be just to start, just start going. It is better to go and take it light, but begin to figure things out than it is to like, I'm gonna wait until I have a perfect understanding of every compound lift, exactly how to use Prelopin's table, uh, when I wanna have my BCAAs, all that bullshit. Like, you, you know, you can get to all of that when you need to, but start, start doing something, start walking, 
start jogging. Walk for half a mile, then walk for a mile, then walk for two, or make it a time limit. Just start moving. All of this, I cannot overstate this, this is a world of action. Contemplation and planning and thinking through problems are critically important, but by themselves don't get the job done. What gets the job done is the act. You must act. You must. How am I going to lose weight? You must act on the steps that get you to lose weight. How am I going to get strong? You must act. Blah, 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 blah. It's, this is a world of action. So it's fine to contemplate. It's fine to strategize. In fact, not only is it fine, it's actually recommended and probably significantly important that you strategize and learn best practices and, and do things safely and carefully. But that doesn't mean not doing them. Get out. Go. Uh, this person says, I'm not far away from the Ukrainian conflict. I'm in a neighboring country. I've never been a soldier, and in general, this region's armies have, usually have a boring life, not much money in the military. I'm trying to wrap my head around the mindset and the morale of the invading Russian army. Could you explain when you signed on to the army, Marine Corps, not the army? Have you really considered giving your life for an order? Sure. Sure. Even if the order would have been an attack on a country with a similar culture and people like yours. I don't know how that would work, but, you know... Uh, I was very much hopeful I wasn't going to have to die in one of George Bush's fucking wars. Let me tell you, I was very, I was very worried about that. Um, but if the choice was to go or to not go, I had made a commitment to go. So I would have gone. I mean, I had to get, they told us, like, uh, after 9-11, they brought us all in, and it was a big to-do, and they were like, get your power of attorney done, get all your, get your will done, get all of it done. And that was grim, man. That was grim. When they tell you to get your will done and you're 22 years old, 21 years old, that's grim. Um, but I did it. Now, you know, what that means for the battlefield is a different scenario, but I would have. What is the mentality? The mentality is you do what the fuck you are told. That's the mentality. Certainly of the enlisted, the officers have a different version of things. And, of course, there are people who defy um, illegal or unlawful orders. Um, and there are conscientious objectors, and certainly I would not get in the way of any of their lives or their choices, but you're asking me what I would have done at the time I was 22. I would have done exactly what I was told to do. Um, and we are seeing some signs that some of these Russian troops are underfed, very young. There's a lot of conscripts there in their military. They have a significant portion that are conscription. So, you know, what's their motivation? trying to get up and get through the day as best they can in many cases. Some of them, probably there is a bloodlust. I saw that in the American military. I would imagine you, that's going to be military-wide no matter where you go to. Um, but most of the people, this is what they've given their lives to, and they may hate it. They may really hate it, but they'll probably go through with it because, A, they don't want to go to Russian jails or get court-martialed. And some may end up believing. We'll have to see. It would have to be a real, and it may turn into one, a moral horror um, for you to see the military revolt en masse, but even that I don't expect. <coughs> Pardon me. Luke, if you were the commandant for a day and your sole responsibility was to improve McMap, that is the Marine Corps Martial Arts Program, what changes would you make to change it to something that isn't a complete joke to service members everywhere? 
I don't know exactly all the rules these days. I can only respond to what it was when I was there, and I got out a long time ago in 2005, so I'm sure they have updated it. But the biggest problem that I saw was that the program was small in the sense that the belts to get were very easy to get, and the level of sophistication for what they give out for black belts was not very. I would call them, at best, good blue belts, and that's probably pushing it. Um, so one, there's just not enough, not enough depth in the program. A lot of it, I don't know how it is today, but when I was there, it was all not mandatory. Um, and there just isn't a broader program for it. Now, the Marine Corps might not have the money for it. Remember, the Marine Corps gets a lot of Army leftovers. It's the smallest of all the American branches. And they take pride in that, but it means you don't have the same kind of budget for this robust program like Army combatives, where they have amateur system and they have much more robust teaching programs and the curricula is significantly bigger. It's just, McMap is just a scaled down version of that. So what would I say to do it? Scale it up along the lines of Army combatives. Um, right now, as I understand it, at least certainly my experience was, getting the highest designation in McMap shouldn't take you more than a year or two at most. It's not very good for hand-to-hand -hand combat. You would need a lot more time than that. I mean, think about it. If you become a United States Marine and you go to infantry school, you know, you're not getting to your duty station until, what, a year, a year and a half later? And that's when you're like a fucking PFC, like an E1 or an E2. And you've already had almost two years of training before you even get assigned to your unit. The level of skill it takes to war fight or hand-to-hand -hand fight takes a lot of time to learn. It takes a lot of time to learn. What the fuck is up with all these questions? Good Lord. Luke, when you look at Masvidal's history in the sport, what will be his lasting legacy? Street Fighter turned pro, a very popular journeyman, which he says no disrespect. Um, let's see what happens with the Colby fight, actually. If he beats Colby and then somehow finds his way, I don't know if he'd beat Kamaru, but if he somehow finds his way to the back or to the front of the pack, anything is possible in terms of what he could do to his legacy. I think his legacy will be um, I don't know. He will be. I think, you know, not a A-plus in terms of accomplishments, right? He didn't ever capture a strike force or UFC title, so it will, it, he will be a B-plus, A-minus guy in that sense, but I think his legacy will be, one, helping to put Miami and American top team on the map. Of course, there's many names that contributed to that, but he would be one of them. Uh, a guy who, who shows you that you need to wait until someone is in their mid, sometimes even late 30s, to see if they can fully actualize their potential. Um, I think he's been popular for their Latin American efforts. But I do think that, that he achieved great heights, albeit um, at the sub-championship level, that will define how he is viewed ultimately long-term. But it, I don't know if there's a neat category for it. What's the neat category for a guy who didn't win titles but people liked but was pretty good? Hard to say exactly.
People try to firmly place Colby as 1B to Usman's 1A in the welterweight division just because he's had two really competitive fights with Usman. But in order to be 1B, you have to prove that you're better than everyone else in the division. I don't think that's true. And the truth is, Colby doesn't have a single win over a currently ranked welterweight, and he has somehow avoided two of the hardest matchups in the division, Gilbert Burns and Vicente Luque. Both very heavy hitters with extremely good BJJ. A fight between Usman and Colby will always turn into a fairly sloppy competitive kickboxing match because of their wrestling base in very similar styles. I agree with that. So their fights don't really tell us anything about how Colby will do against the rest of the division. I don't agree with that. Your thoughts on these two from words? Yeah, I had some people disagree with me on Twitter about this, which is fine. I mean, there is something to it, right? If you were looking at, if you were, and I framed the argument this way, if you look at certain divisions and certain pairs of guys at the top of those divisions, so Izzy Rob, Max Volk, could you make a similar claim about Colby Usman? Now, Usman you would put along those same lines as a Volk or the same lines as a whatever, right? He's top pound pound talent. But the question is, does Colby match up against that? And to your point, let's look at the rankings here and I'll look at it on my phone because otherwise I'm going to fry this work computer. Let's see here. Okay. Oops. So... This is the current welterweight rankings. Gilbert Burns, who he hasn't fought. Edwards, who he hasn't fought. Luke Bilal Muhammad, Jorge, who he's about to fight. Steven, Neil, Sean, Michael. And then you have Hamzat, Jeff, Li Zhang Lang, Santiago Ponzinibbio, and Shavkat Rachmanov. Right. Here's the, the difference with that. You're right. Do I know that Colby would end up beating all of those people? Of course, I have no idea. I have no idea if that's true, especially Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns is... Vicente Luque certainly, I think, is a very good fighter. I do think that Colby would have a stylistic advantage over him, but the Gilbert Burns one is interesting to me. I certainly recognize that that's not anybody's walk in the park, not by a long shot. So I think a fight like that would tell us a lot. Um, so if you wanted to say what he's done is distinct from what a Max who just fought, like a Yair or a Robert who had, you know, Till and Gastelum and Cannoneer and all that. Yes, that, that would be true. He doesn't have that. However, the argument, um, a fight between Usman and Colby will always turn into fairly sloppy competitive kickboxing matches because of their wrestling base. That's true. So these fights don't tell us anything about how Colby would do against the rest of the division. See, that is very wrong. Very wrong. You're right that there's going to be some stylistic... Um, realities about how those two guys match up that will limit our understanding of how Colby might do against other fighters. There's something to that. But the idea that there is nothing we can learn from that seems quite obviously false. Number one, the fact that he was competitive with him in the wrestling department, and even according to some, depending on your definition, getting a takedown on Usman tells you that he would probably be very good with the rest of that division. Plus, when you've seen what else he's done against Rafael Dos Anjos or Rafael Dos Anjos against Robbie Lawler, turning in these, like, again, he attempted 18 fucking takedowns against him. Um, and then, of course, against Tyron Woodley, who's not there anymore. You know, he has put up extraordinary volumes against championship-level fighters for a while. Um, Tyron, maybe not so much at the end there, but, uh, and certainly Robbie was a little bit long in the tooth. But for them, for him to then take those skills and then apply them to Usman and have, you know, he didn't get the W, but to have the success the way he did, 
you absolutely can look at that and say, uh, well, until they fight, we can't know for sure, but it would be very plausible and frankly even likely that he would be able to lord those skills over many parts of the rest of that division. I don't think that's in any way unfair, actually. So what I would caution is, if you wanted to argue strictly he's been at a space so long and there's been such turnover behind him, that even with a win over Jorge, we need to see some other evidence of what he can do against the top of that division. I don't think that's a bad argument at all. But I think if you wanted to argue, well, just because he had success against Usman doesn't mean he'll have success against the rest of the division, that is technically a little bit true. But at least certain parts of it are true, but it misses a lot actually about what it tells you in other directions. So I would, I think you're onto something and I think the general notion about, hey, there's been a lot of turnover behind him, I think that's fine. But saying that you can't glean anything from how Colby would match up against the rest of the division because he gave maybe the best pound pound fighter in the sport a really tough time over almost 10 rounds seems silly to me. This person goes, I have no proof, so why is nobody talking about how Masvidal faked an injury so he could get out of fighting Edwards just to take a fight with Colby days later? Uh, my guess is what happened was UFC decided that was a fight they'd rather go with, and I think that they wanted it originally for the Ultimate Fighter. If they couldn't get it for that, they needed it for their schedule. And so they just subbed it all out. Funny, off the top of your head, how many currently ranked UFC welterweights do you think Colby and Masvidal have beaten combined? I wrote the answer below. One, Masvidal beating Chiesa, which was at 155 pounds. Yeah, I bet. Uh, this person writes, Hey man, on April 30th, 2021, so almost a year, I lost my mom. There's still no cause of death as that shit can take up to a year to find out in Canada, apparently. I didn't know that. But it really looked like it was her own choice. I was curious how long it took before you started having more days than bad ones. More, excuse me, having more happy days than bad ones after you lost your mom. I'm 31 years old, so I think I'm a little bit older than when you lost yours. I was 23. Uh, but it was still far too soon. I survived my boozing phase, but man, I'm fucking miserable all the time. I've wanted to reach out for a long time. Thanks in advance. Yeah, well, first of all... That is terrible to hear. I'm really sorry about that. Um, good news, if you're past the drinking part, that's even better. Uh, I did not get over it in a year. I probably drank like that for three or four years. A long time, a long time. Maybe not quite four, but three. Three good years of just destroying myself. Um, I don't have good news for you beyond that, though. Um, I don't have bad news. I just have the reality as I experienced it. I want to explain something to folks who Maybe this seems obvious, maybe it doesn't. It's probably worth articulating at least a little bit. Even if you were in a serious romantic relationship, um, and it was painful to break up, 
you will eventually come to a place, or at least most people will, will come to a place later on where they can look back and perhaps they are still sad or they have, you know, a certain kind of feeling. About the question was asked about a person losing their mother, potentially to suicide about a year ago. What can be done about it? This is what I wanted folks to understand. And I was trying to explain when the thing went out. You could be in a romantic relationship and it can break apart, but over time you can begin to see it for what it was and maybe not the best situation, you're fine now, you have a new partner, blah, blah, blah. Trying to live without a parent, for me, has been trying to live without an arm, without a leg, without eyesight. You can do it, it's not all that easy. Um, there, for me, for me, there is no such thing as getting over the death of a parent, for me. Now what I mean by that is, I have built up all of these other resources to help me get to a place where I'm not overcome by the burden of what that all meant. Day to day, I can get up and go and live my day. Day to day, I can get up and I can go do things. Day to day, I can, I can be happy. I can be a good dad, I can be a good partner, I can be a good business friend. My life has largely turned back to normal, but it will never be what it was before for me. I don't know how you just get over not having a mother anymore. I don't know how that works. That has never been in the cards for me, ever. I'm not even trying to pursue that. All I'm merely trying to do is be strong enough to be happy again. I have never thought about my purpose being like, well, I guess I just don't care my mom's dead. I guess I just don't care anymore that she was so distraught by the time she died, she decided to take her life. I guess I don't feel bad about it anymore. <laughs> I will always feel bad about that. I will always feel terrible about that. The difference is now that I have built up enough other, as I mentioned, resources to not have that weigh me down. It took a long time. It took a long time. A long time. Years and years. And that's including with therapy and everything else. I do not know how somebody can get over the death of a child, a death of a, of a, um, a parent, and perhaps others that are close to you, whatever they may be. That has never, I don't even think I've ever contemplated that. I don't think I could. So the good news is if you're past the part where you're self-abusing, which I did for a long time, that's good. Um, and the good news is, you will get to a place if you, um, if, if you're, if, if, if you keep pushing, you will get to a place where you can develop all of these other life skills and sources of strength to buoy you into happiness and normality. But for me, for me, as it relates to the death of my mother, it will never be easy. It will never be on anything other than awful and unpleasant and heartbreaking. I will just have a better ability to cope. That's it. By the way, folks were asking about the picture I took on the thread with questions and like why it was so fucking beat up and shitty. This is why. You can see my daughter there, but see this? See that? It's all cracked. So when I do a selfie, it's all fucked. That's why. Okay. How does Chael benefit from telling fighters that they need to be company men? I 
I mean, I'm like me. I guess Chael is just giving people the best advice as he can. I think maybe he feels like, I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for Chael. I didn't see what he said. But my guess is he probably feels like that's a good way to make money. And not rocking the boat is, in the current circumstance, there are lots of ways you could pursue this. Um, I understand the logic of fighters who don't want to rock the boat. I get it. I get it completely. Um, but I also understand the fighters that want to take a stand too, right? So I think I think Chael is just speaking from experience. I think Chael's one of these guys that had a lot of success working with the promotion and in some kind some cases sublimating his own interests on their behalf. But it may have worked for him. It may have worked for him. All right, let's see. On the Kane situation, from what we know at least, seeing how for some other cases in these past couple of years, there has been an uproar of social media push to influence and most likely change the ultimate course of legal actions against individuals that have done something that we have to consider at some point, we would most likely find ourselves doing as well. Do you consider it fair to have an uproar to support Kane? Again, this is on the assumption that what we know so far doesn't change drastically and subjective to change depending on new variables that surfaces. Okay, yeah, fair. What a, what a tragedy. What an absolute, unequivocal, terrible tragedy. The only thing that just kills me about the whole situation is people are like, what would you do? I, I don't have any idea what I would do. If, I mean, can you even fathom the idea of one of your children, not merely being molested, but multiple, if not, in, you know, I've seen some reports potentially up to 100 times. Um, I, <laughs> what, are you, what are you supposed to do? I, you know, one time could cause a lifetime of abuse, much less it's just a level of abuse that I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how you recover from fully. Uh, and for it to be a minor and a four-year-old, it is, uh, it is, it is unfathomable. It is unfath. I mean, you just can't believe people in the world would do something like this. It's worse than murder, and it's just, in certain ways, it's just, it's un, it's unbelievable. The only thing that really kills me about the whole situation is. Kane's going to get the worst of it. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. If, okay, so the other guy, the, the alleged person who, again, I have to say alleged because he's been charged, we don't know, but he is going to have his own legal issues, and if he goes to prison, you know, for child molestation, I mean, one can only imagine what would happen to him in there. Um, but for Kane, he has to live through the horror of this happening to his child, which is again unfathomable and then he you know I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is if he had made a trade I'm going to trade my freedom for this person's death you know I'm not advocating uh, anything that's not legal I'm not saying that but like as a moral trade could I at least on some level understand it yeah I suppose I could and I don't and I totally understand the morality of Wanted, wanting to kill the guy. Um, what I guess just makes me sad, and that's the only thing I can really say, the only thing that makes me sad is, dude, the guy lived. He did all these, again, he allegedly did all of these crimes. He gets released. He lives. Kane tries to kill him, allegedly. Fails at it. 
And so we're in a situation where the crimes are committed, the guy lived, and now Kane is almost certain to do serious jail time here. How much? It's hard to say. Obviously, he's facing 20 years to life. I don't think he'll get life. I don't think he'll do 20 years. But I've seen some estimates of 10 or more. 10 or more. You know, and now, in addition to that, his, his, I, I, again, I'm not telling you I have any idea what the right answer is, but I feel for his family because now they have to suffer all this trauma that has nothing to do with Kane's arrest, and now there's additional trauma on them because now you know they'll have to see their their father during visiting hours. I mean, it's just hard to think of a situation that could have gone more poorly. It, you you might have even argued, at least from an ethical standpoint, you would be able to be a little bit happier if Kane had. And again, I'm not in any way advocating illegal acts. I'm just saying, would you feel better ethically if he had been more successful with his attempts? You might. You might. You might say, well. Uh, you know, this is terrible that he's going to have to give up his freedom for however long. But um, you understand the, the trade. Now. I mean, you understand the, the reaction. But, like, who got the worst end of it? I mean, no matter what, the child gets the worst end of it. But what I'm trying to say is, but for... And this guy, whoever this person is, allegedly, you know, has done all these unspeakable acts. They they will still have their day in court. But Kane is, you know, he got victimized. His child got victimized. His whole he got victimized. His whole family got victimized. And then he tried to do something that I think he thought was right, and he botched it. And now that has set him up for legal consequences without any of the result of what he was looking for it's just a it's just an it's you just can't believe we live in a world where things like this happen but they do it's it's i often wonder what have i done bringing a child into the world not merely generally but this specific era i can tell you when i was a kid um even though crime was higher through the early parts of the 90s the world felt more ordered felt more ordered the technocratic post-cold war era everything felt like it was systematized or if you just got in line for the system you would you know, not get what's yours all automatically but things just made more sense they worked on a schedule and now it feels like every stoplight in the town has gone out and so people are just jockeying for what's next at the intersection it's just we, we live in a world where the security of all of the systems that we had built that we thought were going to do wonders for us, they have become unmoored from the foundations upon which we built them. And um, it is a disaster. It's a tough place. If Volkanovsky defends his belt three times this year, what will that do for his legacy? Well, legacy I don't know, although I have to see the numbers about how many times Max has a title defense and how they all stack up. So it could rearrange the picture about the best heavyweight champion, or best uh, featherweight champion of all time. But probably what it does more than that is undo some of the skepticism about Volk's... Um, claim to being the best featherweight. I think if he did that, 
especially if one of those is max, people might be like, oh, right, right. Do you think the Diaz brothers will be in the Hall of Fame? They'll be in some part of it, which part's hard to say. Like, will they get in outright? Will they get in by virtue of being in a fight? That one's not so clear, but they'll get in. Um, Luke, when did mainstream media outlets become more entertainment and echo chambers than legitimate news sources? What sources do you use to stay up to date on current events? I do not watch cable news ever, ever, ever. I don't watch it at home. I don't watch it on my phone. I don't watch clips. I don't watch shit. I don't watch CNN in a fucking airport lounge. I don't watch cable news or Fox or MSNBC or any of them. First of all, stop watching it wholesale. That'd be the first thing you could do that would be good for you. That is a ratings-driven business that occasionally does news. Not the other way around. Stop watching cable television news. Period. Number one. Um, as for when it all turned, trying to remember, like, I mean, there's always been long-term structural problems with it. And you could actually argue that the ecosystem in some ways is now much more robust with a greater array of voices than that ever existed. And that is probably true. Although the democratization of opinion has had uh, ups and downs. I'm trying to figure out when I could pinpoint when a switch was. I don't know that I can tell you that. But I can tell you that um, the, per the problems that you see today, they existed before when I was a teen or in my 20s. They just became significantly more pronounced over time. They didn't just materialize. They got to a certain direction. For cable news, I think the ratings business has been terrible for them. And for the news, probably the biggest driver is its destruction. Local news being destroyed. There's the most amount of trust that folks have on average is in local news, not national news outlets. So people will trust their local television station more than they were at will the national one, or like a local paper more than, um, than a national one. Um, they have been decimated by Facebook and Google hogging up the entire advertising market. So partly you're not recruiting the same kinds of people. They're not given the same kinds of latitude to do the same kinds of work. And moreover, I have seen it. I have lived it on the sports side, but I've seen it everywhere. Because this money, I mean, here's how newspapers used to work, right? They would sell classifieds. People would look in the classifieds, and that would be the way in which the newspaper, plus ads and everything else, but the classifieds would really be the way they make a lot of money. And then they could have a Moscow bureau chief and a fucking Finland Helsinki bureau chief or whatever. They could put people everywhere, and they could do all kinds of content. Now, they do a lot of content now by virtue of technology and nimbleness, but what I mean is, as they lost out on that, they had to make a ton of budget cuts. Most media outlets don't even know what their business model should be, subscription, paywall, or what. And taking that out from classifieds, destroying the news outlets, and then the news outlets having to rebuild themselves by tailoring articles to be high traffic content. I've made this point to you guys before. Never in the history of media are media outlets giving the audience ostensibly what they want, right? Let's look at what does good traffic and let's just do more of that. Um, and yet audiences have never been more unhappy. I think that... Um, the, the destruction of local news, the destruction of uh, newspapers, and the drive towards ratings on cable news have all turned, have the, the upending of the business model has been a disaster for the product. 
in, in, in large part. Luke, I've been doing jujitsu for about four and a half years now. A move I see hit regularly in the gym, but rarely in MMA, is the omoplata. Do you think there's a reason for why it never gets used? Yes, um, there are not a lot of great finishes from omoplata. I think uh, Vitor Belfort has one from Cage Rage, I want to say. Could be wrong about that. Double check that. But um, they do happen. They're just very hard to do. The omoplata in jujitsu has become a little bit different. It has become something of a transition position where I can't quite get something. You might be trying to pass my guard or whatever. Let me lock up an omoplata. I can stall you out for a second and I can figure out what to do from there. Um, but people have sweeps, they have back takes, they have all kinds of stuff they can do from omoplata. So the position is A, just more readily available in jiu-jitsu generally, and B, it has a different function. You're talking about omoplata as a finishing move versus omoplata as a transition position or a holding position. You should go back and look at how many people use it as a holding or transition position and then ask yourself why you don't see more of that in MMA. Well, most people don't want to grapple and they want to get on their feet versus using their guard to get, extract themselves from their problem. For example, I did a, um, back when the pandemic was in full swing, I did a video on, like, on my, one of my favorite fights, which was Carl Parisian and Diego Sanchez. And one of the funny parts about it is I think Diego takes Caro down or one of the two. Yeah, I think Diego took Caro down second or third round or whatever it was. And then Caro, who's pretty close to the fence, doesn't even bother to try and look for the fence, just starts playing an aggressive guard game. Now, other fighters may do that today, but like, you know, you could really tell the difference between modern MMA and what you saw there. And uh, the game has just changed. So what I would submit to you is the realities are different and look to see specifically how they're using it. If Colby beats Masvidal, he seems wanting to fight Dustin next. Do you think a win over Masvidal will allow him to be in big non-title fights and fight guys like Connor, Dustin, and Diaz? Yes, it could. Mm -hmm. Still find a fight with Poirier unlikely, but possible. Possible. Hi, Luke. We know your position of banning Russian athletes in sporting competition, but what do you think about the government will do in fight promotions? Will there be any, uh, oh, I already answered this one, blah, blah, blah. If Colby told you to do 10 push-ups like he did John Morgan, would you be able to do it? Yes, of course. Um, yes, of course, it's not that hard, but you're, you don't do that. Like if people to ask you to do that, you ignore them. Media rule number one, and this is difficult, but to the best of your ability, don't debase yourself for entertainment or for someone else's demand. Oh, you want to do an interview with me? You have to eat this chocolate. Nah, man, fuck off. Either we're going to do this interview or we're not. I'm not, do, I'm not, I'm not a dog doing tricks. And you saw John just like, yeah, whatever, bro. I'm not, I'm not going to fight you on it, but okay, next one. Yeah, I mean, fuck all that. I realize that there are people that are five years old and have the brains of colobus monkeys who think that's funny, but it's fucking stupid is what it is. How does Islam do at 170? Islam Makachev. He has expressed interest going up after being champion there, unlike Khabib. Do you think his style will allow him to be formidable 
Or does Islam benefit from being in a division that has that many strikers? Certainly, that's true. He is probably physically strong enough. I don't know if he's got a big enough frame for 170. Dude, it's like that would be two weight classes in boxing. It's a lot of weight. Um, fuck, man. Let's see how good he does at 155 first. Christ Almighty. More questions about Kane. We've already done that. All right, this person says this question's a bit long, but humor me. All right, it's got a bunch of wrecks, so let's see it. Seems to me one of the biggest and most important differences between today's UFC and the UFC of 10 or 15 years ago is how quickly fighters could get a title shot back then versus how long it would take today. That's true. Biggest stat that this affects is the number of title defenses that are possible or likely for a champion. For example, you can take two of the most dominant fighters the UFC has ever seen, Habib and Kamaru. They both had to win nine fights in a row in order to finally get one title shot. But back in the day, the UFC gave GSP a title shot after only two UFC fights. A title shot which he lost, which was Matt Hughes, he got armbarred. And then they gave him another title shot just four UFC fights later. If Usman or Habib benefited from the same situation or era and got title shots after two UFC fights, Habib could hypothetically have 10 title defenses and Kamara could only have, or excuse me, could hypothetically have 12. In today's UFC, it is so, so much harder to even get to the belt that we really can't even compare title defenses of today's champions to champions from 10 or 15 years ago. They just are not given the same amount of time to rack up those types of defense numbers. Facts. Facts. Great point. Totally great point. You should think of title shots from like, what was UFC 50? That was the one where St. Pierre fought Hughes, something like that? 50-54, something like that? Um, maybe 45? I can't remember anymore. But you should look at that era as what Bellator is now. Like, you know how quickly you can get a title shot in Bellator, relatively speaking? It's like that. It would happen along the same lines. Two, three wins, you were in, you know. But you also got bounced a lot easier back then, too. Two, three, or not two, but three losses. UFC just, just cut your ass right away. No, no questions asked. Um, so, yes. Now, there, that doesn't apply universally, though. And I've made this point. I think Anderson Silva was like 16-4 and four or 17-4 and four when he got to the UFC. So this dude already had 20 fights and was in his 30s. So yes, he didn't have that many fights before he got to a title, but he was fighting in pride and cage rage. Those at the times were very high-level promotions and in high-level fights, generally speaking. So what I would say is, um, your point is well taken, but be careful about a couple of exceptions and some tweeners along the way. But you're absolutely right. You're 100% right, no doubt about it. If MMA was 100% clean from the beginning, what percentage of fights would have a different result? A significant amount. A significant amount. Um, the argument that I make about performance-enhancing drugs is not is never that they don't actually affect performance, right? That's well, for certain people, they can take drugs and it won't do shit for them because they just suck. But you know what I'm saying? Like they're really good guys taking really good drugs, it's going to have an effect. The argument that I make to people, uh, for example, about punishment, is I go and look at the career of Vitor. This is the one I always bring up, and I want to bring it up one more time. People are like, what about Vitor fucking up Michael Bisping's eye? Yes, that is terrible. That is truly terrible. I would never say otherwise. However, this is what I want you to understand. 
So he gets off the juice at, or the TR, uh, TRT at what? The Chris Weidman fight. So heading into that fight, he beat Michael Bisping TKO, and he beat Rockhold KO, and then he beat Henderson KO. Okay, but after that, he lost to Chris Weidman TKO, then he beat Dan Henderson again, which is kind of funny. Uh, but then he lost to Jacare TKO, okay, guard TKO. The Kelvin Gaslam one was overturned, but he viciously, viciously got knocked out. Then he beats Neymar Gordon and he loses to Leota Machida. This is the point I'm trying to make. Yes, you might change the ledger from win to lose on all of those, depending on what. But there were no fewer injuries. There were no fewer amounts of head trauma. You still had someone taking a fucking dramatic L. Now, you might argue, yeah, but Vitor's taking those L's and that's better. Fine. That's a good argument. That's actually a very strong argument. But the argument that's not strong is that removing the PEDs made the sport safer, such as you did in this particular case. Didn't make it any safer at all. It made it safer for one person. It didn't make the sport safer. It actually made it no less dangerous at all. It just shifted the balance of who took the punishment, which is important, but it doesn't reduce anything. So yeah, I would imagine you get a lot of different results, sure. Also, I object to the idea that there's clean and dirty. I mean, I understand you're either breaking rules or you're not, but I don't really look at drug use like that. Luke, do you have a prescription for marijuana? I do. I might be able to show it to you. I'm going to put my name over one part of it and my patient name. And my physician's medical number. You know, I'm going to put all that down. But, yes, I have a weed card. So I can go into any dispensary, whatever, and get. They limit how much you can buy, but I never even come <laughs> close. I don't know what people are doing in those places, but I've never run up against my limit. But I have to tell you, man, I don't know what it's like in other cities, but in this one, dude. So the rules here are a little bit weird. You can have the medical one, and even for like basic possession, they don't. They, I don't think they do anything anymore. They used to like write you a fine. Now they don't even do that. I don't think. So if you have like less than an ounce on you, I don't think they care. But the part that's weird is that um, you can't unless you have a unless you're part of a dispensary. You can't. You're not supposed to sell any marijuana. So what they have are these places where you walk in and there's marijuana everywhere like in like these are nice shops like they have glass cases and there's like a bud tender and shit and the way it works is like you just let's say you paid 60 bucks for whatever you pay 60 bucks for cookies or a bag or a shirt and then they gift you the marijuana those places are all over the city so i have one but you don't really need one you can just walk into any of those joints and get whatever you want. Now the quality is inconsistent, but uh, so like if you get it from the dispensary, you're getting much higher quality stuff time to time. But like in general, can you just walk in and go get some gummies or a vape or flour even? They'll, you know, oh, well, thanks for buying our cookies. Here's an ounce of weed. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, that's everywhere, everywhere. Do I use it recreationally? Bitch, I use it all day long. How about that? Does that count? Is that recreational? I don't know. Let's see. 
Look, if you and BC brewed your own beers, an MK beer, what would it be called? I don't know. What style of beer? Belgian. The best kind. Would you ever partner with Jersey City Brewing or VA Brewing? No, I'll do it with DC Brow. B-R-A-U. That's the local big, big brand here. If I start a petition to have PFL take all of those damn stats off the screen until the round ends, would you sign it? Motherfucker, what is PFL doing? <laughs> Dude, I like PFL. Actually, I love PFL. I think they've come a long way. Their model is people are copying it. Um, they're growing. They had their best season ever. Um, I really don't have anything bad to say about PFL at all. Except, you got to be fucking kidding me with this made-up math they have on the screen. Understand, even if you take PFL out of this, if you just talk about what regular promotions do, they will often shoot from like the mid-shin or knee-line up for certain angles, so you're already missing all the footwork. So that's not optimal. PFL will shoot like that and then put a crawl underneath for ESPN, so the news, and then the score for the fight, and then another one on top. They'll do it with like speed of the punch or, uh, you know, leg strikes or whatever the fuck, which are at best marginally helpful, and B, definitely don't rate taking up real estate on the screen that continuously. And see, sometimes they'll put shit on there like we have our proprietary numbers that tell us about things. These like quote, these made up quotients that they come up with, these numbers that are supposed to be these figures that that are numerical uh, but determinative, right? If you have a score of X, it tells something about you. But it's just all made up math. Like if you didn't know any of it, it wouldn't be having it doesn't illuminate anything, and not having it is actually a, simpler. It doesn't in any way elucidate your understanding or the experience whatsoever. Zero. Take that fucking shit off the screen already. <laughs> You're badgering us and like limiting what we can see with, you know, math games that an eighth grader comes up with in detention just to fill time. You know, and I know they got this whole bit about like we have a smart cage and we're big on numbers and data and graphs and all this shit. Good. I like that as a general positioning. I don't even, here's my biggest thing. I don't even mind that they attempted it, right? One of the great things that PFL does, I'll give them some praise, is that they try different things from a broadcasting position, from a business model position, from a talent, they, they do a bunch of different things. And from a broadcast position, I like the way that they color. I like their cut their commentators and, you know, calling it a smart cage is kind of silly, but some good marketing gimmicks so whatever. But putting the numbers on the screen quite obviously does fucking nothing. Nothing for the experience. It doesn't make understanding the fight any clearer. They don't give you any clear sense. The numbers don't detail what the differences could be in a close fight. They're just new, often new, meaningless numerical tally, tallies. Descriptions of speed of things that, again, otherwise don't mean anything. Like, oh, a punch was 20 miles an hour. What does that mean? Versus being 18 or 22. I don't fucking know. Doesn't mean shit. So if you've tried it and it, all you're doing is just putting billboards, you know, in front of the landscape, I would rather see the landscape. 
take the billboards down. All right, let's see what's up with your monetization questions, such as I have any since I lost my feed halfway through. All right, let's see, let's see, let's see. Here we go. Okay, here we go. Uh, what shipping address do you prefer to receive free merchandise? We get a shipping address, don't we here? Probably. I think we get one. I don't know it yet, but I will give it out. You can send me mail here to my office. How about that? That's pretty cool. I don't know yet. Yes, please. Uh, do I think a Chinese invasion of Taiwan would go as disastrously as Russia's war in Ukraine? So Adam Tews talked about this as well, but I, you know, this is far beyond anything I could ever even hope to give a coherent answer on. What I will tell you is one thing he said was, if you're Taiwan, what are you thinking now, looking at this? Because part of bringing Russia into the global financial system more broadly in the early 90s, and certainly after 1998 when most of the IMF debt, debt was paid off, was done under this democratic assumption about international relations that such, if you tie in everyone into the same kind of financial global system, then that will naturally create harmony between the partners by virtue of having shared economic and in many cases strategic interests, but certainly shared economic interests. And what they have found is that um, what it actually might happen is that because you get a great power where, for example, like as bad as the sanctions are in Russia and they're bad, there are significant um, energy carve-outs. And so the idea would be, you know, rather than this increase in ties dissuading these kinds of actions that these increase in ties actually emboldens them or certainly neutralizes um, any uh, any reciprocal action as you saw the West take here now they, they actually did it but you know again it could push them into the arms of China and, and, and uh, among a host of other unforeseeable futures but that this presumption that a tie in global trade and a tie in global finances would create shared interests, um, there's limits to that. Pretty clearly that's not true. Are there any sanctions that can specifically target the Russian government without harming the Russian citizens? No. No, it is not possible. Individual suffering for the choices of a dictator is immoral. Um, yeah, in large part, I think that's true. Have I seen Senator Tim Kaine's <laughs> Care for Long COVID Act? I have not. Do we think it stands a chance? I, I, I couldn't, I have no idea. I couldn't possibly tell you. I think Colby and Jorge, this person writes, have impressive records, historically speaking, but are any of their wins relevant in the current era of 170? Again, getting back to that particular case. No, uh, they would have some work to do in terms of relevant wins. They have relevant losses and a relevant good performance in a loss for Colby, but not the relevant win. Based on T. Wood's rapid decline, do you think Nate might have actually had a chance in their proposed bout? Maybe. Unlikely, but maybe. Rank these three decision victories from least controversial to most. 
Usman versus Covington 2, and Ganu versus Gan, Adesanya Whitaker 2. Man. In terms of the public response or just my answer? Because my answer would be in Ganu Gan, Adesanya Whitaker 2, and then Usman Covington 2. But I think the public would say Adesanya Whitaker 2 as 1, and maybe Usman versus Covington 2 as 2, and then Ganu gone as three but my, my tally would be different so it says no question just a thank you from someone who enjoys the content thank you Jose appreciate it buddy uh, talk briefly about your time working at Sherdog and answer where you think Jeff Shrew would have fit into the UFC Hall of Fame I don't know where he would fit I don't know what kind of relationship he has with UFC I didn't work for them as a uh, I was just a freelancer and uh, I got brought in by Jordan Green Jordan Green recruited me to do some opinion work for them Short-lived, a year or two or something like that. But, um, but yeah, that's what I did. And that's at the, at the time, they were the number one site in the sport. Uh, Jeff, I think, had a, had a previous job. I'm not sure what he did. And then sold Sherdog and made a pretty penny off of it. But then I, I don't know what he's up to now. I'm not sure. Would he fit into the UFC Hall of Fame? I think Jeff should. Whether he will, I don't know. Best era for each weight division. He heavyweight would be the Pride era of Fedor, 2004, 5-ish. Light heavyweight would be that Couture, Vitor Belfort, Tito, Rampage, basically before John Jones came along. <laughs> um, middleweight, Anderson Silva. Welterweight, GSP, although Kamaru is changing that. Lightweight, Connor Habib era. Feather. Getting, I think right now. Um, bantamweight right now. Flyweight, Demetrius. Uh, yeah. And then for the women's, they're so new, it's sort of silly to say otherwise. Why is the United States Air Force perceived as being less tough than other branches of the military? Because they are. Yeah. Because they're a lot less tough. Now, obviously, um, you know, you're going to have fighter pilots and every... every uh, military force is going to have a special forces side and all those guys are going to be you know hard chargers but how long is Air Force boot camp six weeks eight weeks like it's not even just a length it's not nearly as difficult they, they don't put the same like you know they don't put the same demands on them for physical fitness they don't yell at them the same they don't make them do shit like that you know if you just look at the Marine Corps Marine Corps has the highest incidence of hazing problems and alcoholism I don't say that positively, but it has a cultural effect. Luke with a fresh cut. Yes, sir. My man, Romel, cut my hair today. Did a good job. Luke, what do you make of this Sam Alvey situation? 0-7-1 and another fight. I mean, they're letting him fight out his deal. You know, they did him a solid. I... I don't get it, but whatever. It's one more. Who cares? How wild is the UFC 272 press conference going to be today? Buck. Buck wild. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one as well. Is that on yet? I mean, it's, do you know what time that is? Can you Google UFC 272 press conference? How would a fight between Prime, Chael, and Izzy look like? Can Chael wrestle his way to a W? No. No, I don't think so. I think Izzy gets up. 8 p.m.? Really? Mm -hmm. Shit. 
Do you listen to any modern metalcore or deathcore? Not, not much. Highly recommended. Make them suffer. Spirit box. Slaughter to prevail. I've heard them. Architects. Yeah, I've heard slaughter to prevail. They're okay. Um, I was in uh, Cartagena in January, and I'm fascinated with the Venezuelan invasion in Colombia. I wouldn't call it an invasion. I would call it a, a refugee crisis. One person told me Venezuelans are looked down upon. That is true. And often hunted by Sicarios if they are found in the country. That is probably not true. Here's why I know that's not true. Let me give you one example of the difference between North and South America. And this is overly stating it, but it doesn't happen here. I had a guy not too far from here. Actually, where not too far from here, 19th and L. Not too far from where we are. Don't say where we are, but 19th and L. And a homeless guy, he had no teeth. And my rule on giving money to the homeless is if they look decrepit or they're like they're in trouble or they're older, I always try to give them some, man. Even if that's at the intersection, I, you know, something, something. And I gave this guy $3 and he told me it wasn't enough. And he was in bad shape, you know. So I was like, okay. Um, I, had just, I had just gotten to go food. Like I had walked out, like I went to go get to go, like I hadn't eaten it. I, I didn't get food I nibbled on and then got it to go. I had just got it literally to go. And I was like, man, if you're hungry, you can have my lunch, you know? And he was like, I don't want your food. And I was like, okay, let me explain something to you folks. In Colombia, which I don't want you to think is in every way third world, but it is a, Latin America's weird. It's like a mix of first and third world thrust together. Um, every time I leave a restaurant with a doggy bag, I get a kid on the street begging me for it because he hasn't eaten in a while. And the last two or three times that happened to me in not so much, I didn't see that many Venezuelans in Cartagena. I saw a shit ton in Bogota. Do they come right up to you and they're like, I haven't eaten in two days. And they, they, they look like they're in bad shape. They'll take your fucking food. They'll take it. You know, and I don't want to sit here and say like the homeless here have it easy. That's, that's not my point. My point is rather they don't have it easy. But the ones, the Venezuelans who come here from across the border, man, and you can hear their accent, you know, it's a little bit different than the Colombian accent. And, and they're, they're with their kids and they're looking for food, um, they'll take it. <laughs> they don't hesitate at all. They go right after it. So now when you say like Sicarios are hunting them down, maybe if they're involved in crime or something, I don't know. But like or, how many, have I seen poor Venezuelans on the street begging for food? You bet your fucking ass I have. And every time I leave a restaurant with food, I never make it home. So it's the strangest thing in Colombia, dude. You leave with a doggy bag, and it, if you, unless you, you know, you just don't give a fuck if people are starving in front of you. Um, I never make it home. <laughs> I never make it home with the food. Uh, how about this? I was at Cartagena, and uh, my daughter was playing this bullshit game. Like, I want pasta, and I'm like, okay, let's go get pasta. So we go to a pasta place, and then she's like, no, I want pizza, and I'm like, fuck my life. So I got her a pizza, and then she wanted to eat the pasta. Now, we still had it, but I had a full pizza, and I remember um, uh, I was walking outside, and these two kids came up to me with dirty-ass clothes, and they just looked at me, and they, were like, they just said, we're hungry. They didn't even ask for it. They just said, we're hungry, and I gave them my pizza, and I'll never forget they had never had pizza. At least that's what they said out loud. They had never had pizza. Can you imagine? Which, of course, you can imagine, but I'm just saying, like, you know, my three-year-old is sitting here being like, I don't want pizza, and this, this, he must have been eight or nine, something like that, and he had never had pizza in his life. 
you know, it just breaks your heart, man. It just fucking breaks your heart. So have I seen these Venezuelans do their thumb invasion, man? Those are refugees, bro. And listen, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, sure, sure that part of the ones that come over, they, they, there's a lot, like in Bogota, it's a big problem, man, because they're, they're committing a lot of crimes, you know. So I'm not, I'm not here to say that, like, they're just angels. That's not the point I'm trying to make. What I am saying is that they're distressed people, which means you're going to get people who are evil, people who are not evil but doing distressed shit because they're under pressure, desperately poor people, you know, and they're going to Colombia, which is a lot richer than Venezuela these days, but not a rich country per se. I, you know, I, if anything, I feel bad for them. I, it's a horrible, horrible situation. Horrible situation. I know you're quite a bit... I know you're quite high on the development of Marvin Vittori, but how do you see a fight between him and Whitaker going? I think Whitaker beats him. I don't think Vittori is ready for that. If Colby uh, would have beaten Woodley for the real title back when they were to fight and then had the losses to Usman, would that change the way people look at him? No. I think there are some fair criticisms, not so much of his shtick, but of his game. Um, and... MMA media, because they can't stand him, focuses on those. I don't think the belt would change that. You know, for better or for worse, I don't think the belt would change that. I think they would still... And again, to be clear, like there are very fair criticisms to make of him. but uh, And they do. But um, they also go a little bit overboard. Alright, i got two more of these. <laughs> Why do people do so much damage in airport bathrooms? Sorry about that. That was me. Uh, any new book recommendations? No, I'm still reading the one I recommended last week, The Climat, K-L-I-M-A-T. I'm still reading that, so I don't have any good new ones for you. But if I do, I will happily tell you. Yeah. Uh, okay, I think that is it for today. I'm sorry about... This is our first time. You know, right here, you can see him. Hold on, let me pull this up. I'll show you my partner. There's my friend. What's up, Othello? He looks, he looks stupid. Um, my hope is to have this more situated next week. We just moved in this morning, so cut us a break, maybe. Thank you for watching. We really appreciate it. Um, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. What else? We have a shipping address. We have a shipping address. Uh, I'll give it out later. I'll give it out later. Um, I'll, I'll, I will hand that out, okay? All right, so thank you guys so much for watching. We really appreciate it. Back next week, back Tuesday, right here, more content. And uh, until that time, thumbs up, hit subscribe. I'll see you all in about a week to do this exact same thing. Until then, stay frosty.